Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 195. Today's big Bible question, how can we be great according to Jesus? So hello, friends. Happy Friday to you. I am once again aware, while saying that, of the fleeting nature of time during this pandemic. It honestly feels like the weekend, or the previous weekend, which is the day before yesterday. Can't believe it's already Friday. Speaking of yesterday, we are talking about the same thing we talked about 175 episodes ago. Yes, it kind of works that way when you're doing a daily Bible podcast. 175 episodes ago when we read Matthew 20 then. Now, don't worry. Today's podcast is entirely new. The uh, written entry on BibleReadingPodcast.com is entirely new. No reused material. At least, I don't think it was. I really didn't refer to the other one at all. I just want you to know that we are revisiting Jesus's key to greatness that we covered in episode number 20 of this podcast. I think this is one of the most important and honestly overlooked teachings of in the Bible, and it is good for me, at least, to tether myself to this teaching over and over and over again, because honestly, in my flesh, I don't know that I want to be a servant, but that is the Jesus way. So let's go read Matthew chapter 20 and get a in-depth look at the Jesus way from Jesus himself. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, You also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five. He went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go to my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work in the burning heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. While going to Jerusalem, Jesus took the twelve disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her son. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do they? What do you want? he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left in the kingdom. Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? 
Oh, we're able, they said to him. He told them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the road, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on a son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, Open our eyes. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. So, servanthood, being a servant, being the key to greatness, is not an isolated teaching of Jesus. It's repeated many times through the New Testament, and Matthew records that Jesus taught this principle more than once. For instance, Matthew twenty three eleven, he says the same thing, the greatest among you will be your servant. And maybe a third time also in Mark chapter 9, 33 and 34, uh, where it says, they came to Capernaum when he was in the house, he asked him, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. And Luke twenty two twenty seven also kind of adds a little bit to what Jesus said in Matthew 20, when it says, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. In other words, Jesus, as great as he is, came as a servant. Now, you know, if Jesus repeats himself multiple times that what he is repeating is essential, crucial, central, foundational. If we want to be great, and it's not wrong or sinful to want to be great, we must live our lives serving. Most of the people in the Western world will spend the majority of their lives trying to be somebody, to be successful, famous, admired, and envied. But Jesus tells us that this is not the path to greatness. It is the broad road to destruction. So here's some great thoughts on this passage from Pastor Tony Evans, and honestly, I just w- wish I could read them with his amazing voice, but you'll have to make do with my less than amazing voice. Tony Evans says, When James and John, the son of th- sons of thunder, sought a place of honor in Christ's kingdom, the other disciples gave them a hard time, but Jesus never corrected the two men for what they wanted. He only corrected them for how they wanted to go about accomplishing it. You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Jesus didn't tell the men not to wish to be great. He told them not to try for greatness in the way that the world does, using power, intimidation, fear, and leverage. The rulers of the kingdom are much different from the rulers of the world. True greatness, says Tony Evans, is achieved through service. It is outward-focused and others-driven. I also like how Tim Keller, 
exhorts us to be servants. And he says this, when you're around a servant, you feel valued, you feel affirmed, you feel listened to, you feel helped, you are helped. A servant is not somebody who needs a whole lot of affirmation because you have all the affirmation and honor. A servant is not somebody who says, I work my fingers to the bone in this church. I've done this and this and this, and nobody seems to cooperate. Nobody gives me any thanks. Jesus says, don't you understand in my kingdom it always entails cups? If you're going to serve, of course you're going to get it on the chin sometimes. I took the big cup, the cup of the wrath of God, so you could take the little cups. They are little cups. Don't you see? A servant knows that. A servant says, how could I feel self-pity about myself when I see what I've gotten from Jesus? Keller says, let me put it to you this way to conclude. When the disciples James and John said, Lord Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask, Jesus looked at them, and in his heart he had to be saying, I'm drinking the cup for these people? In the garden, Jesus says, I'm only asking one thing, guys. I'm asking you this thing, you selfish little guys that you stay awake with me and pray for me while I wrestle on the ground over what I'm about to do for you. And he comes back and they're asleep. What does he do? He serves them. He dies for them. In fact, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, in other words, I know you mean well. He finds something to compliment them for because he has the heart of a servant. These people represent you and me. Jesus died for people like us who are stubborn. Are there people in your life who are stubborn? How are you treating them? Jesus died for people who are always wanting from him and never wanting to give anything. Are there people around you who always want to take and never want to give? Don't you see? Jesus died for people who slept through his greatest hour of need. Aren't there people around you you're really mad at right now because they slept through your hour of greatest need? You're looking at people around you saying, they should have known I've been upset. What are you doing? Are you withdrawing from them? Are you attacking them? Are you being cold to them? Or do you keep in a position, a stance of servanthood towards them? Have you given up on them? If you have, may I put it this way, says Keller, how dare you? Look at what Jesus did for you. And the more you're melted by that, and the more you draw on the resources of that, the more you're going to be able to be, be the servant he is. Yes, he ransomed his, not, uh, yes, he ransomed us, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He ransomed us, not just to make us happy, but to prepare a people for himself eager to do what is good. Man, those are challenging words. I needed to hear that today. As I'm recording this, I think I'm going to throw it up on my Facebook page so that I can be reminded again and again. Sometimes it's hard to be a servant for difficult people. And honestly, I don't know many people that are super difficult like that. But I know when I do stumble across them or their difficulty rears its uh, ugly head, it makes me not want to serve them. It makes me want to do the exact same thing Keller pointed out and withdraw from them or whatever, say something like, well, you're not worthy of my time and attention or something ridiculous like that. And Keller's challenge is bold. How dare I behave that way? How dare you behave that way? Look, we're all selfish little things, just like the disciples. And yet Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, served them and served us on the cross. And he calls us to that level and that 
kind of greatness to serve others. And I, for one, want to be great. And there is a one-way, one-path way to do it, and that is to serve. So friends, let's serve. Let's serve with all our hearts. Let's serve those who deserve it and those who don't, because we're very aware that we deserve nothing of the service that the King of Kings gave us. By the way, today's other scriptures are Joshua 12 and 13, Psalms 145 and Jeremiah chapter 5, so let's go read them now. Joshua 12 verse 1, the Israelites struck down the following kings of the land and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan, to the east and from the Arnon River to Mount Hermon, including all the Arabah eastward. King Sihon of the Amorites lived in Heshbon. He ruled from Aror on the rim of the Arnon River, along the middle of the valley and half of Gilead up the Jabbok River, the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah, east of the Sea of Chinnereth, to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, eastward through Beth Jeshemoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. King Og of Bashan, of the remnant of the Rephaim, lived in Ashtaroth and Edrai. He ruled over Mount Hermon, Seleka, all Bashan, up the Gazerite, to the Gasherite and Machathite border, and half of Gilead to the border of King Sihon of Heshbon. Moses the Lord's servant and the Israelites struck them down, and Moses the Lord's servant gave them their land as an inheritance to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Joshua and the Israelites struck down the following kings of the land below the, beyond the Jordan to the west, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which descends toward Seir. Joshua gave their land as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their allotments, the hill country, the Judean foothills, the Arabah, the slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev, the lands of the Hethites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The king of Jericho one. The king of Ai, which is next to Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Horma, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Lipna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasheron, one. The king of Medan, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron Meron, one. The king of Akshaf, one. The king of Tanakh, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jachniam in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in Naphath Dor, one. The king of Goyim in Gilgal, one. The king of Tertza, one. The total number of all kings, 31. Chapter 13, verse 1. Joshua was now old, advanced in age, and the Lord said to him, You have become old, advanced in age, but a great deal of the land remains to be possessed. This is the land that remains. All the districts of the Philistines and Geshurites from the Shihor east of Egypt to the border of Ekron on the north, considered to be Canaanite territory. The five Philistine rulers of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, as well as the Avites in the south, all the land of the Canaanites from Era of the Sidonians to Aphek, as far as the border of the Amorites, 
the land of the Gebalites, and all Lebanon east from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Meshrafoth Maim, all the Sidonians. I will drive them out before the Israelites, only distribute the land as an inheritance for Israel, as I have commanded you. Therefore divide this land and as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and Gadites had received the inheritance. Moses gave them beyond the Jordan to the east, just as Moses the Lord's servant had given them, from Aror on the rim of the Arnon Valley, along with the city in the middle of the valley, all the Mediba plateau as far as Daban, and all the cities of King Sihon of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon to the border of the Ammonites, also Gilead in the border of the Geshurites and Machathites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan to Selika, the whole kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edre. He was one of the remaining at Rephaim. Moses struck them down and drove them out, but the Israelites did not drive out the Geshurites and Machathites, so Geshur and Machath still live in Israel today. He did not, however, give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. This was their inheritance, just as he had promised, the food offerings made to the Lord, the God of Israel. To the tribe of Reuben's descendants by their clans, Moses gave this as their territory. From Aror on the rim of the Arnon Valley, along with the city in the middle of the valley, the whole plateau as far as Mediba, with Hashbon and all its cities on the plateau, Deban, Barmoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Me'on, Jahaj, Kedamath, Mephath, Kiriathaim, Sibma, Zerath, Shahar on the hill in the valley, Beth, Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth, Jeshimoth, all the cities of the plateau, and all the kingdom of King Sihon of the Amorites, who reigned in Hashbon. Moses had killed him in the chiefs of Midian, Evi, Rechim, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the princes of Sihon who lived in the land. Along with those the Israelites put to death, they also killed the diviner, Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. The border of the Reubenites was the Jordan and its plain. This was the inheritance of the Reubenites by their clans with the cities and their settlements. To the tribe of the Gadites by their clans, Moses gave this as their territory. Jatzer and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites to Aror near Rabbah, from Heshbon to Ramoth, Mizpah, and Betunim, and from Mahanaim to the border of Debir, in the valley, Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukoth, and Zephon, the rest of the kingdom of King Sihon of Heshbon. Their land also included the Jordan and its territory as far as the edge of the Sea of Chenareth on the east side of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the Gadites by their clans, with the cities and their settlements. And to half the tribe of Manasseh, that is, to half the tribe of Manasseh's descendants, by their clans, Moses gave this as their territory. From Mahanaim through all Bashan, all the kingdom of King Og of Bashan, including all of Jair's villages that are in Bashan, sixty cities. But half of Gilead and Og's royal cities in Bashan, Ashtaroth and Edrai, are for the descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, that is, half the descendants of Machir by their clans. These were the portions Moses gave them on the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But Moses did not give a portion to the tribe of Levi. The Lord, the God of Israel, was their inheritance, just as he had promised them. Psalm chapter 145 
I exalt you, my God the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 1. Run for cover out of Jerusalem, Benjaminites. Sound the ram's horn in Tekoa. Raise a smoke signal over Beth Hakacharam. For disaster threatens from the north, even a crushing blow. Though she is beautiful and delicate, I will destroy daughter Zion. Shepherds and their flocks will come against her. They will pitch their tents all around her. Each will pastor his own portion. Set them apart for war against her. Rise up. Let's attack at noon. Woe to us for the day is passing. The evening shadows grow long. Rise up. Let's attack by night. Let's destroy her fortresses. For this is what the Lord of Armies says. Cut down the trees. Raise a siege ramp against Jerusalem. This city must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. As a well gushes out its water, so she pours out her evil. Violence and destruction resound in her. Sickness and wounds keep coming to my attention. Be warned, Jerusalem, or I will turn away from you. I will make you a desolation, a land without inhabitants. This is what the Lord of Armies says. Glean the remnant of Israel as thoroughly as a vine. Pass your hand once more like a grape gatherer over the branches. Who can I speak to and give such a warning that they will listen? Look, their ear is uncircumcised, so they cannot pay attention. See, the word of the Lord has become contemptible to them. They find no pleasure in it. But I am full of the Lord's wrath. I'm tired of holding it back. Pour it out on the children in the street, on the gathering of young men as well. For both husband and wife will be captured the old with the very old. Their houses will be turned over to others, their fields and wives as well. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is making profit dishonestly. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace." Were they ashamed when they attacked, acted so detestably? They weren't at all ashamed. They can no longer feel humiliation. Therefore, they will fall among the fallen. 
When I punish them, they will collapse, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths, which is the way to do what is good. Then take it and find rest for yourselves. But they protested, we won't. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen for the sound of the ram's horn. But they protested, we won't listen. Therefore, listen, you nations and you witnesses. Learn what the charge is against them. Listen, earth, I am about to bring disaster on these people, the fruit of their own plotting, for they have paid no attention to my words. They have rejected my instruction. What use to me is frankincense from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I am going to place stumbling blocks before these people. Fathers and sons together will stumble over them. Friends and neighbors will also perish. This is what the Lord says, Look, an army is coming from a northern land. A great nation will be stirred up from the remote regions of the earth. They grasp bow and javelin. They are cruel and show no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses lined up against men lightened up like men in battle formation against you, daughter Zion. We've heard about it, and our hands have become weak. Distress has seized us, pain like a woman in labor. Don't go out to the fields, don't walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. My dear people, dress yourselves in sackcloth and roll in the dust. Mourn as you would for an only son, a bitter lament, for suddenly the destroyer will come on us. I have appointed you to be an assayer among my people, a refiner, so you may know and assay their way of life. All are stubborn rebels, spreading slander. They are bronze and iron. All of them are corrupt. The bellows blow, blasting the lead with fire. The refining is completely in vain. The evil ones are not separated out. They are called rejected silver, for the Lord has rejected them. Oh God, have mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Good day, friends, and Godspeed to you.